0: Couch
1: Wisdom. Couch Wisdom. Hey, this is Todd Burns from Red Bull Music Academy. Welcome to Couch Wisdom, our regular podcast presenting the best of RBMA's Lecture Archive. LA native Sidney Bennett started making music as a teenager, eventually connecting online with Tyler, the creator, and joining up with his Odd Future Collective. Bennett found early success as Sid the Kid, producing tracks and DJing on tour for The Collective. But eager to explore her own creativity, Bennett co-founded a new group called The Internet, an electronic soul project in 2010. By 2015, the band had released three albums and earned a Grammy nomination. That's when Bennett, now known simply as Sid, began her third act as a solo artist and songwriter. In this 2017 lecture, as part of Red Bull Music Academy Paths Unknown, Sid sat down on the couch in London with Charles Ravens to look back on her career thus far, detail her singular approach to writing, and explain how collaborations have shaped her sound. If you want to learn more about the Academy, please stay tuned after the lecture. For now, enjoy this bit of couch wisdom.
2: I'd like to introduce a producer. DJ, singer, and serial collaborator, Sid. Hey.
0: Thanks for coming, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, well,
2: we're going to be talking about various things, working with Odd Future, your production process in the studio, stuff like that. But I thought we'd begin by talking a bit about live performance. Um Obviously, so one of the themes this weekend is collaboration. You've collaborated with many, many people. Um, Janelle Monáe, Isaiah Rashad, uh, All of Odd Future, who else? Vic Mensa. Um, There are so many. Yeah, yeah. No, (laughs) Um, But you had said that you didn't really, you hadn't really imagined touring your solo album as a solo artist, but actually you just finished the American leg of your solo tour. So, what happened there? Why did you decide to go out on your own?
0: Um, good question. Uh, one, just to give the album another push. Uh, two, I guess to see what it would be like. And three, um, to make some money. Shit. <laughs> uh,
2: and how was the experience compared to how you might have thought it would be?
0: Better. It was better than I thought it would be. Um, I was scared to do it because I didn't know what like a a Sid show would look like. I'm so used to performing with the internet, and um, the reason I have, the reason we have a band in the first place is because I was too nervous in the beginning to sing over like a two track, just a DJ. So I was like, oh, let's get a band and take some of the attention away from me, and um, it it turned into what it is now. And I was a little confused on what to do with the solo SID show. Like, do I get another band? Do I get a DJ? Like, what do I do? Um, It took a little while, but I figured it out. And here we are.
2: Um, And what did you you learn about yourself as a performer? Because it must've been different when you know that you're the sole focus of attention.
0: Um, I learned that uh, I have more potential than I thought I did as a performer. That um, I can step out of my comfort zone if I really want to, if I really try. And uh, that it's not so bad singing on top of like a two track. No. (laughs) Um,
2: Is it true that as part of developing an on-stage persona for yourself, that you studied the D'Angelo video for Untitled, which I'm sure we all know the video.
0: Oh, no, nah, no. Nah. I didn't study that music video. I, um, I used to watch D'Angelo concerts on YouTube. Okay. has like two or three like full-length concerts on YouTube. One from like Sao Paulo, Brazil, at a festival, And that was the main one. I used to study that one, study his stage presence and his voice, just the whole energy, because he's one of my favorite performers.
2: What is it exactly that he does that you've tried to absorb?
0: Um, He's able to, like, bring so much energy to a soul show, you know? Like, a lot of the soul-type R&B concerts you go to, It's very mellow and um, people forget that I started out as a DJ for Odd Future, um, you know, going crazy. So uh, when I started performing with the internet, it was really intimidating being in front of uh, calmer crowds. You know what I mean? I I took it, at first I took it the wrong way. Like, oh, maybe we suck because they're not (laughs) going crazy. And then I had to reprogram my thinking and realize that every crowd is different. And um, so I used to watch D'Angelo um, because I don't know if you guys have ever looked up D'Angelo live on YouTube, but he's going crazy. Like He's on stage going ham, like turning up. He'll turn a three-minute song into a 10-minute like vamp. And I just thought that was just amazing. Like, how did is he still singing Brown Sugar? Damn, like, it's crazy. <laughs> so I I just studied that, like, how to turn this one song into this whole experience and how to bring energy to um,
2: R&B, soul music, live. Um, so let's talk about the recent album, Finn, your solo album. Um, to explore this idea of collaboration, one of the themes, um, why was it important for you to allow yourself to be working with lots of other producers this time? Like, what was the what was the reason to be opening yourself up to that rather than just saying here's here's a solo Sid record, just me? Uh,
0: to be honest, I did a lot of those sessions with the intention of giving those songs away to other artists because I, I really want to be a songwriter at the time. Like. I, I didn't really want to put out a solo album like that. I wanted to write songs for all these other artists out there because um, I don't know deep in the back of my in the back of my brain, I'm still a behind the scenes person. Um,
2: is there a sense of you thinking that you're writing for other people in order to downplay how big a deal it is to go solo?
0: Definitely. That's what it turned into, you know. Um, and it's funny because like my my A and R was the one who booked me all these sessions, and I'm like, oh, dope! I get get to work with Hit Boy. You feel me? I'm gonna get this song to so and so, and I hadn't even signed my record deal yet, my solo deal. But the A and R at Sony was already putting me in with all these amazing producers. So me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to use this to my advantage and 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 give these songs to shop these songs around. I have a publishing deal, like, let me send these to my publisher and see what happens. And then slowly but surely, I, I, I guess I grew attached to the songs
2: and um, it turned into Finn somehow. What kind of artist did you imagine singing those songs or hope?
0: <laughs> uh, I mean... I don't know. I I didn't really think about that when I was writing them. Um I wanted to write songs that I would be comfortable with putting out myself, you know, songs that I genuinely would want to sing myself because I feel like that's the best way to write and produce for other artists is to give them something that you truly think is fire. You know what I mean? Like Give them some of you. That's what I love so much about Pharrell and like the Timberlands and the Dark Childs is that when they're working with an artist, they're not trying to give that artist what they already have. They're trying to give them something new, something fresh, something that's theirs, you know?
2: So when you started writing those songs, they were, they were still your songs? You didn't imagine somebody else taking them over? They were your lyrics, your stories?
0: Definitely my, my stories and my lyrics, and I, in my head I was like, you know, let me play these for some folks and see see who might want them. I also came to realize that I have a pretty specific voice and that not everybody can sing my songs. Um, and I also have a pretty specific subject matter, so unless I'm writing for like a, a man, <laughs> Um, with a really high
2: voice. With a high pitched voice,
0: you know, <laughs> it just became a hassle trying to like trying to pitch the songs. I was like, you know what? Nobody's gonna understand this the way I do unless they hear me sing it. So,
2: so how much of it had you? How much work had you done before you realized? Oh, it's it's a it's a Sid album. And then once you thought that, was there much work left? Did that change how you were working on it?
0: Um, I probably didn't realize it until I had. I'd say, like, maybe eight songs. I still had them in a folder with a bunch of other beats that I had made a long time ago, some songs that I'd written a long time ago, just to, to see, see what I had. And then I realized I had, like, a whole body of work. And I was like, oh, snaps, I have a whole album right here. <laughs> That's crazy. And... Um, Thankfully, at the time, I was in a good position to negotiate a a nice deal with Sony for one album, and that album was already finished. So it was was efficient, good business.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, How how do you write best? Do you have to start with an idea alone and build it up quite a way, or do you look to a collaborator quite quickly to get more feedback? And Um,
0: I. These days, I'll just freestyle something. I'll uh, I'll just sing some melodies over something, and I like to I like to start with the beat. I'm a producer still, so I make the beat first <laughs> or get the beat first, start singing some stuff, and then I try to just let words kind of come out. I might be mumbling something and see what does that sound like, cause I'm all about consonants and. Syllables and stuff like that. Like I like to write like it's a puzzle. So rather than really thinking, okay, I want to write a song about heartbreak. Like I'll just freestyle something, and whatever, whatever comes out, you know, it could be a have a good time or something like that. Okay, what what can I what can I turn this into? Hmm, and I'll just spiral off of that. It's like a snowball effect.
2: What do you mean by a puzzle? well
0: typically i'll I'll sing a melody um say nowadays i'll just i don't I don't even start singing anything until the the mic is on and recording because my first ideas are usually my best ones, and so I'll just press record i'll freestyle like a whole Three minutes or a minute and a half of something, and I'll be like, okay, that's the verse melody right there, and that's the chorus melody. So what words would fit? you know? Like you can get kind of creative with subject matter, and you can, you can write songs that aren't even about you, because why not? It's fun. Um, so yeah, I'm all about consonants and making the syllables fit, making sure it sounds natural and not
2: uh, forced just to get the message across. So do you usually have quite a complete idea by the time you have a collaborator and you're showing them what you've been working on? Well,
0: I, I tend to collaborate more with producers nowadays than songwriters. On Ego Death, I collaborated with a bunch of songwriters. I was having trouble finishing a lot of the songs. Like um, Special Affair, like I had the first three lines for like three months. Fanny pay it, I can read your mind even from behind. fuck was in your phone, let me take you home. And I didn't know what to say after that. <laughs> I was stuck for months, and um, eventually I was like, you know what? Let me let me bring in some songwriters to help. So I brought in this girl named Taylor Parks. She just opened for me in Texas. Um, and she's an amazing songwriter. So she came in, I sang her what I had so far. She was like, that's dope. I was like, oh, that's dope. Okay, let's get it. And snowball effect.
2: Do you have sort of tactics that you'd use if you get stuck in the studio? You know, like there's the famous oblique strategies cards where you pull like a wild idea to give you a new direction. But do you have any way of kind of getting through a difficult moment in the studio where you feel stuck?
0: Um, I take breaks. I'll take a break, <laughs> smoke some weed. Um, you know. It's a, I, it's a classic. <laughs> the The best thing I think to do is just not to force it. I don't really, I don't really like forcing it because then it feels like work and then I hate it and then no, I'll step away. And if I'm stuck for a really long time, I'll just call a friend. Hey, can you help me finish writing this song? Because I'm stuck, you know. Um, It's one of those things too that like, some I used to feel uh, like like I wasn't a good songwriter when I couldn't finish a song by myself, and I had to get over that because then you'll never finish a song. Like, you know, fifty percent of something is better than zero percent or one hundred percent of nothing. So I just also studying James Fauntleroy, um, I learned that it's okay to write a bad song. You know, just write a new one the next day and hope that it's better, you know. But you got to finish the song. So sometimes if I'm stuck, I'll I'll go with something that I'm not in love with. I'll just record it just just as a placeholder. Sometimes it grows on you. Sometimes that idea will grow on you. Sometimes, you know, it'll morph into something else. So,
2: yeah. When you've you've worked with so many different artists, um, what might be... A similar thread that connects them or what is it that you're looking for in a collaborator that makes somebody good to collaborate with?
0: Uh If I'm a fan like it's you know it's that simple I, uh, I only really want to work with people that I'm fans of
2: so. Has there ever been a time where you're collaborating with someone and you're a fan of their work but actually it's just not working in the studio and you can't get any joy? Let me think Um
0: <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Probably I don't know. Damn. It's a it's a scary feeling. It's a big reason that I don't really like reach out to my idols to work. Like I um the other night somebody asked me like if I had ever worked with Erica Badu and I was like they were like, why? And I was like, I mean, she's, she's just one of my idols and I'd be scared that it wouldn't come out how I dreamed, you know? I'd rather just... And also, I like having stuff to look forward to.
2: Um, we're going to play a track. We're going to play uh, Shake em Off from the new album. Cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> could you just uh, introduce us and tell me who you worked with on this track?
0: Shake Em Off um, was produced by Hit Boy. He's an amazing producer. He's still working on Fruity Loops, which I think is amazing. And not like the MacBook version of Fruity Loops. Like he has a a MacBook and then he has a PC over here. (laughs) And he'll just go over here and start making a beat. I walked in the studio and he was playing these chords and I was like, yeah, yeah. Right there, yup, that's it. It's done. It was real easy. <laughs>
1: okay. Hey there. At this point in the lecture, they played some music. Unfortunately, due to copyright reasons, we can't play that here. Yeah, I'm bummed too. Anyway, uh, enough from me. Let's go back to couch wisdom.
2: Um. So that track produced, uh, co-produced with Hitboy. No, he did it
0: himself. He did it on oh. himself. Yeah. Full Hitboy production. Yeah.
2: Um, who obviously has a history of making hits. Um, mm-hmm. What was it like working with the producer who's had such like huge commercial success? And did it change how you heard your own music at all?
0: Um, I was really excited to work with him. I got the text from my a and like, hey, would you be down to work with Hitboy? And I was like, the fuck? <laughs> <sighs> when? <laughs> and uh, he's super nice, like super nice dude. Um, went to his studio and he, like I said, just started playing those chords. And I was like, done. <laughs> and, um, he did some cool shit with the drum, like where he basically like timed the drums and then that turned that into the intro. And I was like, okay, dope. It was really cool watching him make the beat and, um, also really cool, like, watching him actually play keys like he's he can play keys and also cool like because that's not a typical 2017 beat you know what I mean like it's that that track for me kind of felt a little timeless like oh wow you like you couldn't really put a date on this this track and I like stuff like that so I, I was really um happy to work with somebody with a bunch of commercial success who wasn't trying to make me anything commercial.
2: And did you think you were writing potentially for somebody else at that point?
0: Yeah. I, I definitely was, was writing and honestly it made the process a lot easier. Like not not thinking about, okay, this is for my album, this is, okay, I need it to be like this. Like I was like, let me just write a song. Um it could be for anything, for anybody. So it was interesting, actually, going in with all these producers because they're like, so so what's good? You working on an album? I was like, nah, just writing songs <laughs> and turned into an album. It's interesting.
2: Um, could you pick another producer off the album who you worked with where you had a really, quite maybe quite a different experience?
0: I don't know. Uh, for the most part, they were all... Similar experiences. Um, I worked actually with one of Hip Boy's production partners. His name is Hayes, and he produced "Got Her Own" and also "Over." And th- we did those two different days. I think we did we did "Got Her Own" first. I went in there. I was like, "Ooh, this will be tight for Post Malone." <laughs> <laughs> You know, whatever. And then I went in there the next time. Um, his engineer wasn't there the second time, so I recorded myself at his desk. And it was just very smooth. Like, he he played me some beats. And I was like, that one. And he went to the back of the room and just was like this. And I just took over, and, and it came together, which is so similar but different, where I didn't watch him make the beat. But... Um, I kind of like that. Like, play me some shit. You know what I mean? If I if I don't like anything, then let's make something new. And otherwise, like, I'm gonna just pick one of your, one of your stash ones.
2: What about working with Nick Green, who obviously comes from a well, he's a singer. Um, what's it like to work with a, another singer? Is it competitive?
0: Uh, well, nah. He's he's one of my writing partners actually. So
2: he wrote. Um, what what break down what that means in terms of working with a producer or working with a writer?
0: Well, it's interesting because he he started producing like a couple years ago, and before that, like he had co-written a lot of ego death with me. The first song we wrote together was "Don't You." I um, <laughs> I I actually was a fan of his. I I was living with a a friend uh, named Alia. And she came home one day and was like, yo, I just went to this sick ass show, this band called Nikki Davey. You got to go to the next one. So she took me to the next one and I was just blown away. This was before Feel Good and everything. I was just blown away. He was he was the lead singer and um, his voice was just so fire. He got all these tattoos. I'm like, yo, he's like a tatted Justin Timberlake or something. It's crazy. And his songs are so fire. So... I was just a fan. And I remember after the show I saw, I saw him outside and I said, hey, man, big fan. We got to work. And he didn't know who I was at the time. So he was just like, okay, cool, whatever. And then um, eventually, I think, I don't know how I got his info, but um, I invited him to my studio. We wrote, don't you? And... I just remember thinking like, damn, this is the one, this is this is the single for Feel Good. Okay, cool, like damn, this is, this is dope. All right, dope. So then when Ecodef came around, I was like, look, let's, let's just keep it going. Let's just keep writing because we got something special. Um, so when he came to me with uh, No, you know, we were like, we were hella close. We're still hella close. His dad was actually my voice coach for for a few years and um, amazing coach. And so he came to me with no, was like, yo, I wrote this song, man. Like, I think you'd sound dope doing it. Just let me know. Like, he played it for me. I was like, yeah, all right, cool.
2: Give it to me. (laughs) Um, I wanted to, we can come back to the production a bit, but I wanted to talk about your development as a singer as well. Um, Did you... Did you always want to be a singer as a kid, too? Or? No. <clears throat> I uh, I always loved singing since
0: I was a kid, but um, I never took lessons or anything. I, I didn't, like, think I was a good singer. I had a great way of memorizing runs, though. And so I just, <laughs> I remember being that one kid in the back of the car trying to, like, sing all the runs and all my friends being like, oh, like, you really trying to hit them notes? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and being kind of embarrassed, like, oh, damn, maybe I should stop. And also my mom, like, you know, because I grew up when, like, growing up, American Idol had like <laughs> was a thing. And you watching TV, watching all these people just sing terribly and... And be judged you know what i mean it was really intimidating and i wasn't really thinking about singing at the time i was really trying to be a producer um i i didn't really get into singing until we made our first internet album and um at the time we had a keyboard player named tay walker and he he's an art he's a solo artist now he was a solo artist then and i used to record him and I remember just like trying like vocal producing him on a light note and just singing him what I had in mind for a harmony or whatever. And every so often he'd be like, hey man, like, why don't you sing it? And I'd be like, man, not because you're the singer, bro. And um, so for the longest I just stayed behind the desk. It wasn't until I got a record deal that I started singing. Um and it was really intimidating coming out as a singer with no experience um, because I, I felt like I was competing with all these people who've been singing their whole lives. And that's why I started a band. So I was like, I'm not about to get up here and sing <laughs> with a DJ. Like This is going gonna, gonna to be really bad. So <laughs> let's get a band and, and bring some live music into it. Uh. And I started taking lessons with Nick's dad, uh, Don. And he was my coach until he passed away. And um, so now I don't really don't really have a coach now. I just kinda um, What was the thing that made you decide to get
2: a vocal coach? Or was it just because you knew him?
0: Nah, I needed one. <laughs> I was trash. Like <laughs> my voice used to be really like unstable. And still can be, but um I've I've grown a lot and I've I dedicated I dedicated a lot of time to it. Um I was giving uh Nick free studio time at my studio for a while and in exchange his dad gave me really really cheap voice classes. So I was going to him every day. Um I'm not a very disciplined person on my own. So if I want to like get better at something and I'm not obsessed with it, you know what I mean? Like to be honest, I wasn't I didn't fall in love with singing until I got better at it. You know what I mean. Before that, it was one of the things I would I love to do, but I, it was so intimidating. Whenever you hit the wrong note, or you, you know, you lose breath here or whatever, you just get discouraged. So um, it took me having to say, "Okay, can I come Monday through Friday, <laughs> thirty minutes a day, Monday through Friday?" I went and saw Don, and. Um, and he loved me. He said, he always called me his favorite student because um, I picked up kind of quick. Um, but yeah, I, I I just needed to. I was touring, I was doing shows and I wasn't happy with my performances. So,
2: Did you used to worry about your voice then and how people kind of perceived it? Because now, you, I mean, it's quite a, it's your calling card in a way. It's a very recognizable voice. So are you, you know, do you hear it differently? You kind of, have a different relationship with it.
0: Yeah, I I always knew I had a pretty voice. People always told me that. Um I knew like you know, if I if I have enough time to record it, I can make it sound good. Um I can make it sound like listenable. Um but I for the longest like I that's why we didn't perform the internet songs. we dropped Purple Naked Ladies and we didn't do a show until like nine months after because I just I wasn't up for it I just didn't have it in me and even when we started doing it I I swear after every show the first thought in my head was like what am I doing (laughs) like I'm making a fool of myself and I was for a very long time was making a fool of myself Um, but I don't know what it was maybe it was the fact that I had like four other guys now with me and and I've felt somewhat obligated to them to keep trying, you know what I mean? Not to like give up because then, you know, then we're, we're all out of a band. <laughs>
2: so I don't know. Um, has the success and critical success of Finn led other artists to be getting in touch with you for work as a songwriter, as a collaborator? Do other people now want your collaborations?
0: Yeah. And and at first, it was bittersweet because I, I, what I wanted was, okay, I'm going to drop this album. I'm going to show everybody that I can write these songs. like I can write songs like this and like this. And then we got the internet. And um, I was hoping to get more work as a writer after that. But... Um, I had some artists hit me up to collaborate. And at first I was like, I don't want to collab. I just want to write you a song. <laughs> and <laughs> and then I had to realize that it was, you know, it's a blessing. Like, people like my voice. This is dope, you know, like, I'll get some shine from it, I guess. And, and it, it won't hurt. Like, I can, still write <laughs> I can still write my part. So still be a songwriter.
2: Have you have you done that whole uh, LA songwriting room thing where you're brought in to like bang out some songs to potentially be for another artist?
0: Yeah, I've done it a couple times. I did a writing camp for (laughs) French Montana once. I did. It was fun. It was really fun.
2: Give us an idea Um, of what him
0: at all. It's it's interesting because I have I've had a publishing deal since I've had a record deal 2011, and. Publishing deals are changing, the whole publishing industry is changing, but um, it wasn't until this year that I um, had the opportunity to go into these writing camps and try to write hooks for these other artists and whatnot. They put you in... Uh, a studio, they usually will put you in a compound, right? And they have like three studios rented out at the same time. They've got me, another songwriter, and like two producers in this room. Two producers, two writers, three writers in that room. And then the actual artist is in the big room recording whatever they like, you know? Um, And that was an interesting process. What I liked about it was that I met a bunch of really cool producers and writers, and I realized that they're all just as hungry as I am, you know? Like, I was in there with people who have, like, hits, and and they're just trying to write more hits. Like, they they're asking me, like, how did you get a record deal? Like, how did you become an artist? You know, a lot of them... A lot of them actually want to be artists, and me, I'm like, well, how did you get this number one? Because I just want to write, <laughs> write songs. Um, so that was really, really cool. Did any of
2: your stuff get picked up?
0: No, time? no. Okay. Unfortunately, I mean, um, my my second writing camp was for Ti, and. Um, he actually came in and, and recorded a verse over one of my hooks, which was really cool, but I haven't heard it since.
2: <laughs> so
0: I know the producer, though, so if I really want to hear it again, I can ask for it. But um, ain't no telling what's going to happen to that song. And it's OK. I I, um, I don't have any of the songs that I wrote in any of those sessions. I think I wrote like f- four hooks in the French Sessions maybe like two or three for the TI ones. And yeah, I don't have any of them, but it was great practice, you know?
2: And you have to give those up, right? You can't use them yourself.
0: Well, if if they don't use them, I'm sure it's fair game, but we have to wait to see if they want to use them or not. You know, it's all good.
2: Um, we're going to play Body from the album as well. Can you introduce that one for us a little bit? <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Damn.
0: Body was produced by um Mello X. Mellow X, he's uh from New York. He he produced on Lemonade, on Beyoncé's Lemonade album. He did a, a track or two on the Lemonade album. And I I we have mutual friends. So I think we got connected through my AR as well. But super cool dude. He came through to the house. Um, and Body was a beat that when I first heard it, I didn't like it that much. And then I just let it play for some reason. Like I guess I was trying to understand it, and once I understood it, and once I like heard the top line melody in my head, I was like, yo, this is going to be a smash. <laughs> body roll anthem, let's get it. <laughs>
2: Yay, yay, yay. Um, for a moment I'd like to go back to when you were a kid KYD kid I guess um, you you said before I read that you, you wanted to you heard things on the radio and you'd want to take credit for them that was when you realised that you wanted to write songs what kind of tracks were they do you remember any specific ones that you thought oh, I wish I'd written that
0: drop it like it's hot.
2: how, how old were you then <laughs>
0: I don't even know. Like, was that middle school? Me and Justin went to middle school together. I don't know. It was it was mostly like um, Neptune's beats that I would hear and be like, "Dang, I wish I could say I made this." <laughs> and why yeah. do you think that is?
2: What is it about Neptune's beat that just speaks to you for some reason?
0: Mm, maybe because they're just really unique um I think at first it was that it was the fact that like I don't know what it is but I like this song a lot and this song a lot and this song a lot and when I realized that they were all produced by the Neptunes I was like hmm well what else did they make (laughs) now I'm a stand
2: um I think in that period, everything was written by the Neptune's actually. (laughs) It
0: was, yeah. And and it was so inspiring because it wasn't like typical industry standard music production. You know what I mean? It was uh, pushing boundaries. Just they were using like synth guitars, you know what I mean? And making them sound good. Like that's really hard to do. That's not easy. Not easy at all, <laughs> and not quantizing like drums and stuff like that. That's just very inspiring. Very inspiring.
2: Um, you have some musical people in your family as well. So, your uncle is a reggae producer who mm. co wrote Mr. Loverman. Apparently, is this true? Yeah, how cool is that? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. You'd have a claim to fame anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's my and uncle is it, Mikey. And your mom wanted to be a sound engineer as well? My mom wanted to be
0: an engineer, come to find out. Uh, my mom loves music, so she's my biggest fan and my biggest critic at the same time. <laughs> um, which is dope because she's honest with me. And, you know, when, when, when I'm trash, it sucks. But when I'm good, I know it's actually good.
2: Um, so when you were growing up, when people were listening to music in your house were they actually people were listening and at an analytical level maybe that you felt like people were listening closely and you learned that maybe?
0: Um, both it was my mom, my mom I think every weekend I would wake up to like because we have like we used to have surround sound in the whole house where my mom could plug like she had a 300 disc CD uh, player and she had I know 300 <laughs> 300 CDs and she just kept them in there all the time and every every Saturday Sunday morning I'd wake up and it'd be on shuffle throughout the whole downstairs. Um
2: what kind of stuff did you have?
0: Soul, R&B and soul mostly and some reggae from, you know, my dad. <laughs> uh but I just I would wake up, she'd be singing along to everything and so like I just grew up just listening to music a lot. Um, My uncle Mikey, like, he lives in Jamaica, so I wasn't really in the studio or anything with him like that. But every time I went to Jamaica, I did spend most of my time in the studio. And that was really cool. That's when I realized, like, I want a studio. (laughs) Like, one day, this is cool. Like, my uncle, like, now, for the most part, I think the, la- okay, the last time I went to Jamaica, we were at the studio five out of the seven days that I was here. And um, every day, he has a chef. <laughs> he has a chef there. He sits outside on the patio under this little like thing and just just sits out there, talks to everybody that's coming in and, and, and leaving. All these like older reggae dudes coming in to rehearse. You know, oh, Mikey, what's, what's what, what going on? And then he's like, he's like, ah. he's eating or whatever. You got like younger artists coming in. Are you Mikey Bennett?" And then just trying to like, trying to audition for him and stuff. and that was just so cool. Like I'm just sitting there with my uncle, my dad, and people are just like, you know, like tripping over 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 my uncle and and that was really inspiring and and um just sitting in the studio and watching watching the engineers
2: just at the board. Yeah, it made me really want to do it. So when you started making tracks for yourself, um, what did you start out with and how how quickly did you feel the limitations of what you had? Did you move pretty fast in terms of learning? Uh, I started with
0: um, a MacBook Pro that my dad had bought for school. Uh used, and it had GarageBand on it, and I was just one day just going through all the programs to see what, what was on this computer. It was like the first computer we had had really in the house in a long time, so I was just browsing, and I was like, oh, shit, you can record music in here. <laughs> you can make, you can like put stuff, put sounds on top of sounds and stuff. And Justin was with me at the time. We were like 14 or something. And we, I was, like, LimeWire was really big back then. So <laughs> we were downloading a lot of, like, acapellas and stuff. And I was just trying to make beats um, over the acapellas. And um, I, I, don't, I don't know if I picked up quick or anything, because there was nobody around me really doing it. So there was no reference. But... um I became a little bit obsessed with it. Um my next-door neighbor who's like a brother to me, his name is Tai Tai. He he raps and so he had just gotten back home. He had moved away for like 2 years and came back and was still rapping and I was like, "Well, that's crazy cuz I could record you on my MacBook. <laughs> we can make songs." And so we started recording just through the MacBook speak uh, MacBook mic and then I was like, "This sounds trash." damn, where do I get a microphone from? I got one on Craigslist for like 90 bucks. And it was like a small diaphragm condenser, which if you know uh, about like microphones, it's not good for vocals. (laughs) Small, small diaphragm. It's not the best for vocals. And I didn't know. So I just was like, oh shit. I got this Christmas money. I bought this mic and then I got the mic and I'm like, Fuck, how do I plug this into the Macbook? (laughs) So I went to Guitar Center. I said, hey, how do I plug this into my Macbook? (laughs) They're like, oh, well, you need an interface. I said, what's the cheapest one you have? And it was like a hundred bucks for this M-Audio Fast Track. And the shit was so stupid. It didn't have no phantom power in it, which you need to power a condenser microphone. So I get the mic, I get the interface, I take it home and my shit still don't work. And I'm like, what the fuck? I had to go back to Guitar Center, buy a separate box for Phantom Power. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. And and I set it up. <laughs> I had a really big bedroom. So like my, my room was like two rooms connected. So I turned the smaller room into like a studio. I wired. I put the mic in the closet and I ran the wires all the way through the room and had like a whole studio set up in there for like a cool year or two and um, eventually uh, moved into my guest house. When my cousin moved out of the guest house, had a whole like one bedroom apartment to use as a studio and that's where we recorded all the like early, future albums. Tyler's first album, Earl's first album.
2: How'd you yell them? I'm wondering if your mom would ever come and maybe have a go on your equipment <laughs> when <laughs> nah, you Nah, she's not
0: very tech savvy, um, but she does like to come in while I'm working and just sit and listen. And, oh, what's that? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, nothing, you know, like. I'm still real nervous sometimes to play music for my mom. <laughs> um,
2: when you came across Tyler and Matt on MySpace,
0: right? I or? met M- Matt on MySpace. Just... Yeah.
2: Um, uh, I mean, I, that's how many years ago now? It's like ten years ago. Yeah, it's ten years 10, ago. 10, um, so, which is a long time to be to be working with people, and I wondered really. Um, what are the most important lessons that you've learned from them but also what do you think they've learned from you what have you discovered about each other as as your key talents as songwriters and rappers and producers
0: um let's see what i've learned from from matt a lot a lot of life lessons from matt matt was there for me when i was like struggling really bad with depression and was on tour and didn't want to be on tour and I honestly didn't want to be alive at the time. And he was always there just to like, bring me back. Like, look, don't trip. Like, you're going to be home soon. It's all good. We're going to make this album. It's going to be cool. Um, Musically, I think from Matt, I learned that anything can be done. (laughs) You know, like anything is possible. I think why I reached out to Matt on MySpace all those years ago was he had the Super 3. um, And... I thought it was three people, <laughs> just like everybody else, because he had um he was drawing, like he didn't post pictures, just drawings of him and two other people. And it was the Super Three, it was his production group. And I wanted to have a production group too because I was making beats, but I wasn't very happy with them. So I was like, man. I hit him up for advice on my space. Like, hey man, I'm a huge fan. Can I ask you for advice? He was like oh, that's dope. You're a girl. You make beats. That's dope. And I was like, yeah, man, like, I want a production partner, though, because, like, I just, I have a hard time finishing my beats. And he was like, but then you'd have to split the money. (laughs) I was like, damn. That's true. (laughs) Okay, well, let me get better at this shit then. (laughs) And, ironically, we became production partners. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I learned from him, like, Throw another layer on it. Fuck it. It sounds weird, but it sounds different, right? I think what made Purple Naked Lady so special was that when we made it, we knew that we had never heard anything like it before. Like, we made it. We knew it was weird and quirky, but we were like, yo, this don't sound like nothing. <laughs> that's that's tight, right? It's cool? Is that, is that a good thing? It is a good thing, yeah. So, um... I learned yeah I think from him I guess the biggest lesson I learned was that making something unique is is good you know as a pro- as producers as artists you know it's easy to like get caught up in what everyone else is making because you see it work for them but what I've realized even recently like with with Finn is that like a unique body of work is can be more valuable, you know, than a good non-unique body of work. So,
2: what about what you think they've learned from you? Um, shoot on and ask them.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I, I um maybe probably nothing. I don't know. <laughs> no idea. That's um, a good question though.
2: As Odd Future got successful, how did that change your work as a producer? How did it kind of, how did your studio change? How did you develop other than getting more proficient, I guess? Um, Was there a pressure of knowing that more people were listening or?
0: No, I don't know. I, I was really inspired working with Odd Future. At the time, like I was making beats, but I wouldn't play them for anybody. Uh, I'd come in the studio and Left Brain would be making like three beats at the, at the same time. And I was like, yo, this is tight. Like, I'm going to try that. Uh, I'd come in and Tyler would be making a beat real quick, you know. Um, and I would just take notes. Like, okay, he did that. Okay, that's dope. Um, for the most part, I just realized what I actually wanted to do. And that was like produce and 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 create and facilitating other people's dreams was dope and being a part of other people's journeys was dope but I realized that I wanted to have my own journey as an artist uh, as a creator and and that was valuable.
2: you were obviously all really young when things kind of exploded and I guess I wondered if you feel like there's enough industry support for people who get signed when they're really young and... Yeah.
0: I think there's more industry support for young artists than there is for, for older ones. The industry is is uh <laughs> it's very complicated and it's changing so quickly every day. Um I'm twenty five and I feel a lot of times I feel really old <laughs> in this industry and that's so sad. But um yeah, it's 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 weird, you know? You have um a lot of young artists pop up seemingly out of the blue sometimes and, and then you dig a little deeper and realize, oh, they're not random at all. They've been doing this for a minute. Um and then there are other artists who pop up seemingly out of the blue and you look into their shit and you're like, Wait, is this their first song? And it's already who are they signed to? You know, um the new thing I think for labels is to try to make your new artists out to be independent because people seem to gravitate more towards independent artists these days, I guess. So it's a really interesting game (laughs) right now. And like I said, it's changing so quickly all the time. You kind of have to think
2: um, like 10 steps ahead. We're going to play Flashlight from 2011. And it would be great if you could introduce it for us and maybe get back in the headspace you were at when you wrote that one. (laughs) Damn.
0: Okay, so Justin was here for this. Uh, Flashlight is a song that I wrote and produced when I was 16. And uh, it's one of those things I I made the beat. I think one, one evening... I was in bed getting ready to fall asleep and the lyrics just came to me. I wrote them down. I woke up in the morning and recorded them and then I called Justin and was like, yo, come through. <laughs> and I hopped to the shower, I got out the shower, he was already in the room like, so what's good? <laughs> I was like, I want to play you this song that I
2: did. What was his reaction?
0: He said it was tight. He was like, yo, this is tight. I was like, hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. I was inspired. This was right when Drake came out. I was inspired by Drake. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a goat.
2: Definitely one of the goats. Can we give it up for Sid, please?
1: Hey, this is Todd Burns again. Thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom. Before you go, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you a bit about the Red Bull Music Academy. The whole thing is a world traveling series of music workshops and events. Almost every year since 1998, we have done the main Academy event in one city, but we also do various things around the world throughout the year. In fact, we may just be doing an event near you pretty soon. If you wanna find out more, do check us out at redbullmusicacademy.com. Also, if you liked what you heard on this podcast and you're not already subscribed, please go for it and consider rating us uh, while you're at it. It really does help other people discover the podcast. For now, thanks for listening.